Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm thankful that you're listening this morning. A few weeks ago, you heard me discussing The Crosses Project. You can check more out on Facebook at The Crosses Project. And this is a project that's being put on by a dear friend of mine, Gordy Herrick. And he put up several thousand handmade and hand-painted crosses on Chapman Hill, representing the children who die every day of starvation around the world, calling attention to the hunger issue, hoping to raise money to help end the poverty and hunger that are killing thousands of children every single day in our country. These crosses represented those thousands of children that die daily. Again, 19,000 children die every single day. Unfortunately, those crosses were stolen from Chapman Hill, presumably by someone who rejected the idea of Christianity, by somebody who was against the idea of a cross being displayed in public. This presumably was done by someone who elsewhere would tout tolerance and would claim to be tolerant and would claim to be open-minded and would probably even reject others claiming that they weren't as enlightened, as tolerant, as open-minded as themselves. Well, unfortunately, they showed their true colors that they really aren't that tolerant, that they really aren't that open-minded. I thought it would be good today to revisit a show I did a couple years back with my former co-host and dear friend Ron Martin because Ron so articulately described the need for true tolerance today. I hope you'll enjoy this show, and I hope you get a lot out of it, and I hope that you'll be committed to true tolerance, true love, true free speech, and truly have an open mind about those around you. For me, this is one of my favorite subjects uh, to talk about because in my career in the movie industry and even in my schooling, I've actually seen the term tolerance shift in definition virtually 180 degrees. What we're finding in our over-tolerant society is that people are actually less tolerant than they've ever been before. And what we see today with the term tolerance is completely different than it was just 30 years ago. And I find this really fascinating because it brings up a lot of issues about what's happening with our culture, certainly on the religious level, on the political level, and even the way people interact together. Originally, tolerance was kind of the golden value of dialogue in the liberal arts. Tolerance was the way that you would enter into a dialogue or a debate with another person with the assumption that there will be differences with that person. And there are three basic rules that guided the conversation. And again, this applied to the political realm. It applied to religious beliefs. It applied to practical areas of life and circumstances. And those three basic rules were somewhere out there, there is objective truth, a value of truth that says it is our duty to find it. It is our duty to discover and dialogue and exchange ideas openly to get to that truth. The second rule was various parties would have uh, different ideas about what that truth might be, but everybody accepted that those ideas were there, that there were differences, that there were even opposing ideas. And then the third belief was that the best way for those truths to be discovered was the unhindered exchange of ideas, no matter how crazy those ideas were. We would actually go into debate classes and philosophy classes and our history classes, take opposing views, even views that we didn't agree with, and just try and go crazy with them and pitch the most outlandish ideas 
only to stimulate greater thought and greater discussion. And that's what tolerance was all about. It assumed that there was a difference in opinion, but it set up a standard that said, even though there's a difference, I will allow you to speak openly about that difference so that we can exchange our ideas, refine our ideas, and get closer to that idea of what ultimate truth is. I believe it's Voltaire who said, you know, I, I, I will disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And this is what tolerance was held up as the high standard for the exchange of ideas that everybody was essentially expected to engage in. It always required civility. It always required polite exchange, uh, even heated exchange, but never resorted to personal attacks or the dismissal of the other person. Then something happened, and that is the shift that basically says, well, you know, maybe truth isn't out there. And then you had people making very firm, truthful statements that truth can't be known. Intolerance took on this new identity of saying, it's not that we engage together to find truth. It's that I'll accept your truth as yours and my truth as mine. And what it really did is it arrested the exchange of ideas and civil dialogue. It arrested the debate process. This has had a profound impact on our society. We've gotten to the point where political correctness has kind of held a lot of progress hostage by preventing this free exchange of ideas and by stating from the start that some ideas are not valuable or worthy mm -hmm. and that others are and constricting all ideas to the realm of what's already accepted yeah. <laughs> and pre-approved, so to say. And this is spread in many different areas, and it's actually extremely dangerous to get to this point. Yeah. It's dangerous and it's deceptive at its core. Mm -hmm. In the area of the sciences, in the area of architecture and engineering, in the area of physics, there's no debate about this idea of rational, empirical truths being there. And we go through our formulations, we go through our experimentations, we go through our observations to find them. And then all of a sudden we draw a line and we say, wait a second. On the area of personal beliefs, it all turns into preferences, and there's no methodology in which we can arrive at the truth. Then tolerance starts to take this shift in its meaning, and it comes in uh, part of what we call postmodern epistemology. Postmodernism as a philosophical movement is basically waning today. It, some people say it's dead. I think it's certainly on life support, if anything, in the academic level. But practically, its impact still lives on. Well, and I mean, among the youth of today, it's still very strong. I think a lot of people are growing yeah. up with the perspective that truth does not exist. In fact, this very week, many of you probably heard this street preacher that was hmm. here on campus. And I went out to check out what was going on. I saw a lot of people gathering and thought it'd be interesting to see. And the guy behind me yelled, I hate your intolerance. <laughs> <laughs> We're not affiliated with that particular street preacher that was here or anything. But I turned around to this man and I said, would you say that you're intolerant of his intolerance? Mm -hmm. And this student said, I understand your argument, but I really don't want to talk about it. And I respect that. But yeah. a lot of times people operate from this perspective that I'll be intolerant of your intolerance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that is something that flows straight from postmodernism. Yeah. And from this perspective that there is no truth, which, of course, we all know the mm. answer to that. Is that true? Yeah, <laughs> We've it, talked about it, it, that. It, exactly. They've exchanged truth statements very often for preference statements. Instead yes. of saying something is right or wrong, they've gone to the place of saying, 
do you like it or dislike it? Yes. Instead of saying 2 plus 2 equals 4, we now say 2 plus 2 equals vanilla. Yeah. And I like chocolate, so who are you to say that I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and it's a fascinating thing uh, because the way this enters into many people's lives is on this area of personal preference. We see that in a political arena. Uh, again, the statistics get so overwhelming that people basically say, well, I just like that guy's personality. I don't necessarily know what he stands for, but I know sort of what party he associates with, what stance he associates with, but I really like him. <laughs> Ron, and, I, I love when I'm driving and I see <laughs> a car with conservative bumper stickers and then a liberal candidate's bumper sticker alongside them, or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. People that have maybe one set of beliefs, but then they're... Switched back and forth accordingly. Buying based into on, a political figure based on preference yeah. or style yep. or so forth. It really is a uh, an amazing thing. In the area of spirituality and religion, and particularly as it pertains to us as, as Christians, what I find the shift moving toward is the idea of spirituality rather than religion or, or faith or uh, dogma. And, of course, part of that has happened in this mode that we're talking about of the new tolerance. The shift has been taken place that says... There's no longer truth to get out there, at least in these areas of personal belief. There's no longer truth that's out there that we all should be pursuing and exchanging ideas about. It's a personal preference. That's the idea of spirituality versus dogma because it requires nothing of me. Ultimately, tolerance has shifted to say not that the assumption is that we differ and that we exchange ideas to discover the truth. It has shifted to say that there is no truth and we should never suggest that our ideas are better one than the other. And what that has done is absolutely shut down intellectual debate about all areas, political areas, cultural areas, and particularly religious areas where people would say, I actually believe something firm about the way life works, about my worldview, about God, about Jesus, about how I would resolve my own understanding of, of what life is all about and the bigger picture, what the postmoderns would call the meta-narrative, that one narrative that sort of structures and defines all other stories that I would tell about life. And it becomes in itself a religion, this religion of tolerance that says I must not just agree to listen to your disagreement, but I must accept your disagreement as truth without question. And it becomes, in a real sense, a way of manipulation. Exactly. And mm. like a lot of religious dogma, it becomes dogmatic. Yep. Because if you don't accept my disagreement, if you believe your truth really is true, and by the way, that's the definition of truth, is that it's exclusive and true. Yeah. If you do believe what you say you believe, then you must be wrong because you disagree with me. And disagreement is the ultimate sin and the religion of tolerance. And therefore, to question that level of tolerance, that idea of tolerance, is in itself labeled intolerant. And I find this really unfortunate. You know, the UN declaration about tolerance is it says is the end of all dogmatism and absolutism. <laughs> and I sat there and I looked at it and I thought, but that in itself is a dogmatic absolute statement. Absolutely. And why would they impose that on us? I would love to see the kind of statement that says you come in here and we exchange ideas civilly, rationally, we get to the truth, and we support the truth together. What a better world we would be in if that was the case. I think it's leading to a real crisis in our culture that ultimately we're going to have to return to this old view of tolerance that says culturally, religiously, academically, we are going to differ. 
In fact, we must differ because the only way we will ever get to the truth is to recognize each other's differences and engage in that conversation. And that really brings us to the value even of a station like KDUR in this show and what we're trying to do here of stimulate dialogue, stimulate thought and questioning, maintaining a high level of respect, of critical thinking, all within the realm of honoring another person's right to say what they want to say and to believe what they want to believe. But let's get to the work of finding the truth that is out there and valuing that as our standard. Absolutely. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM or KDUR.org online. And as we talk about tolerance and free speech and as we talk about Fort Lewis and KDUR, this station has really supported us. And I think this is important for people to understand. When we first began, we actually had a professor say that Christians sharing their beliefs is unequivocally undemocratic. The station responded by saying, whatever your beliefs are, we support your right to share your beliefs. Hmm. They didn't say we agree with all beliefs or we condone everything that Nate and Ron say or that anybody else says. But they've always been supportive of free speech, which hmm. gets back to the real definition of tolerance. Yes. Tolerance is defined as a fair, objective, and permissive attitude towards those whose opinions, practices, race, religion, nationality, etc., differ from one's own. Implicit in that definition is the reality of difference, mm. right? You cannot have diversity without difference. That's right. And the beautiful thing about true diversity is the reality that we can have differences. And Ron, we're on the same show. I can't think of many people I agree more with on many issues, but I know we have profound differences on some issues. Yep. And yep. that makes our relationship even stronger. And I think uh. it's like that in many areas. When we see those differences and choose to love and accept and respect each other in spite of those differences, we see true tolerance. And that yeah. is a very valuable thing. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. One of the questions I would always get when I was teaching this in a philosophy course called Worldviews Today, several students would ask where all this came from. And there was a great philosopher years ago. His name was G.E. Lessing. He came up with a parable that described this, and it's my favorite parable to define where we are in our society now. And it basically goes like this. There was a king, a father of three sons in his kingdom, and he had this magic golden ring. And each of the three sons knew that when their father died, uh, they would potentially get that ring and take over the kingdom. Well, the father didn't want to play favorites. He didn't want to choose which of his sons he thought was more qualified or more capable or even that he liked more or loved more to give the ring to. So he had two imitation rings made to match the golden, powerful ring that he was going to hand off to his sons. And he gave each of his sons those three rings, not telling them which one was the original and which two were the false rings. So each of the sons went out and operated as though they were the heir to the kingdom. And the way Lessing described this, he said, as far as the true knowledge of which ring is true, so is truth far from all of us. His point was, who was a legitimate heir of the kingdom? Who really had the golden ring? I could live as if I had the golden ring and I might make mistakes and I might do things with a false authority behind me. But the key is who really had the authority and which ring was real? And as pleasant as it might sound to us in this parable of these three rings to say, well, wouldn't it just be nice 
if all three of them just got along. But what they did is they warred with each other and they eventually killed each other rather than the father just saying, as father, as king, here is the ring and you're getting it. And there was order and there was civility and there was authority passed on in that. And I think what we have in the academic world today is this idea that everybody has a gold ring and everybody's equal and everybody's right and all truth kind of blurs together at the end. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work politically. It doesn't work culturally. It doesn't work ethnically. And it doesn't work academically. It certainly doesn't work in the physical sciences. But somehow in the area of religious truth and philosophical truth, we don't want to believe that there's a set of rules that we have to obey. And that always makes me come back to the kind of statements that the Bible makes about itself. There's a lot of questions today about, you know, creation versus evolution, you know, democracy versus socialism or political ideas that oppose the rights of a person absolutely compared to the value of a person absolutely. What is the authority for life and the bigger picture? And what is the authority for belief uh, within that picture. And this is where I find the Bible to be absolutely unique because it doesn't base its claims to truth on power. It bases its claims to truth on propositional ideas that there is truth, that God is the author of truth, and that he has communicated very specific truths to us about himself and about even the word that we call the Bible, this collection of documents that he actually ensures to us as coming directly from him and representing his authority over his world. And I think when you try and move away from that authority, that's where the real objection to religious dialogue comes in. And that's where I think Christianity, in a very real way, has a very, very appealing scope to it, because we can look at these statements, not only that claim to present truth, but claim to be truth in themselves about who God is, about how people originated here on this world, how the world originated in itself, and what it would be like to have a relationship with that God who is a creator. And then Jesus enters the scene some 2,000 years ago, and he's uh, with the disciples in that upper room discourse of John 14, and it was Thomas who said, well, when Jesus said that he was going to be leaving, knowing that the very next day he would be tried by the Romans and the Jews and then uh, crucified on that cross, and it was Thomas who said, but how do we know the way? And Thomas's assumption is that there is a way to know, that there is a truth out there to find, and how do we know? What is our basis for epistemology that we can actually know real things on a spiritual level? And that's when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that there's a beautiful picture that Jesus is building here for us. And the narrative of John 14 is building for us in that truth is real. Truth is genuine. Truth is authoritative. And our question is, how do we know the way? And then Jesus comes back and says, I am the way. I am the truth. And in a world where that's the last thing we want to hear, we want to talk about Jesus and his love your neighbor idea. That's good. We want to hear Jesus and his feed the poor idea. That's really good. But somehow we stop when we hear Jesus say, I am the truth. Because we've been taught over the last 30 years that this idea of truth is undiscoverable or not worth discovering. Yet that in itself is a claim to truth. And we need to question that. And sad to say, the last thing that tolerance will tolerate is to question tolerance. 
and it becomes the ultimate intolerance when we aren't willing to question our assumptions about truth, about spirituality, about religion, and particularly about the claims of who Jesus is and what the Bible represents him to be to us. Intolerance has taken us to that point in our society. Again, as I say tolerance, Hmm. I'm talking about its modern definition, not true tolerance, which I believe was commanded from Jesus himself to love our neighbor as ourself and Hmm. to accept even our enemies and to love them and pray for them. The reality is that modern tolerance has not just been intolerant of intolerance or different perspectives, but modern tolerance as a social perspective has become intolerant of Jesus himself. Yes. G.K. Chesterton recognized this trend over 100 years ago, saying you are free in our time to say that God does not exist. You are free to say that he exists and is evil. You may talk of God as a mystification or a metaphor, but if you speak of God as a thing like a tiger, as a reason for changing one's conduct, then the modern world will stop you if it can. It is now thought irreverent to be a believer. And that is very true today. It seems the most intolerant thing you can do is be a follower of Jesus Christ, who preaches love and tolerance regardless of opinion. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? It's the ultimate irony, isn't it? It is. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said to have an open mind about things that are not absolute is good. But to have an open mind about things that are absolute is idiocy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. We've gotten to a point where we say an open mind is necessary about everything. Failing to realize that an open mind about jumping off a cliff is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is a truth and a reality about that cliff that has nothing to do with my perspective or my position. Exactly. If I fall off the cliff, if I jump off the cliff, I will die on the rocks below it, regardless of my opinion or my perspective. The place for an open mind isn't in the absolute reality of the cliff, but rather in the beauty of the cliff or something to that effect. I like the way that cliff looks. And you might disagree with me, but we should never disagree on the truth of that cliff. Yes. And, and, And here's the important thing relative to that. And this is what a lot of people that get angry or intolerant of Christianity tend to say. They say, well, you know, Christianity is all about proselytizing. And it's about you, you know, shoving your beliefs down my throat kind of thing. I can't count how many times I've heard that. But but here's the perspective to keep. If the truth is, if you step off that cliff and fall to your peril, and I don't warn you, that's not tolerance. That is a crime. That is me hating you. That is me withdrawing compassion from you. It's basically saying I don't care. And the most loving thing I could do to you is to warn you. Now, again... If you want to step off the cliff, I guess you'd be free to do so. But my value of you wants to warn you. I think the most misunderstood about Christians and their zeal to tell others about the love that they have found in Christ, the forgiveness and the acceptance that they feel in Christ and in the Christian movement, comes out of compassion to tell others about it. It's that same principle of just really wanting to warn you, to appeal to you, don't step off that cliff. Life has consequences materially and spiritually. Truth has consequences, materially and spiritually. And really what the Christian position is, we just want to tell you the warning about the path that you're on. You can disagree, you can say no, and I will respectfully listen to your disagreement, but I would also expect and desire the same that you would listen to my appeals. And this is where I think we need to return as a culture 
Uh, I would love to see a return to a tolerance of the old definition of intellectual debate in the old style that basically says, I will respectfully disagree with you and here's why. And then let's go have a refreshment together, you know, and enjoy each other's company. One of my favorite uh, authors in this area is a fellow named Karl Popper, wrote a book called uh, The Open Society and Its Enemies. And his conclusion is, is that the open society itself is its own worst enemy because it shuts down the dialogue about truth. And he says, uh, truth always implies totalitarianism in the area of truth. That's why we call it true. Most math, chemistry, physics professors I ever took would agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he said, you know, tolerance comes at the expense of truth. And I just find that such a great observation. Propositional truth through language is the ultimate value necessary for civilization and the thing that we all pursue and desire. That we would get back to the idea of rationalism and in the, the modern sense of rationalism as an expression of that desire to find truth. Certainly as a believer, we believe that rationalism comes from the fact that we were created in God's image. That, I think, in the most practical of senses, is what Christianity supports. I think that's what Jesus taught. But he also taught, ultimately, the truth that we need to find is his love for us. As we conclude this show and our discussion of tolerance, I wanted to mention a few places in Scripture where we read about tolerance. Both Galatians 3 and Colossians 3 tell us that all people are equal regardless of race, religion, social status, or sex. Isn't that phenomenal that the Bible would tell us thousands of years ago before tolerance ever became fashionable that regardless of those different perspectives or realities, we as individuals created in God's image are equal. There's a big difference, Ron, between saying we as individuals are equal, which we are, mm -hmm. and saying that all thoughts are equal, yeah. which they are not. <laughs> they are not. Ideas have consequences, it's been said, and bad ideas have bad ones. Mm -hmm. I've heard that said many times, and it's very true. So the Bible says that all people are equal. Jesus himself said to love your neighbor as yourself and to love your enemies and pray for them, even when they disagree with you, right? Jesus said to do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. And the Bible tells us to accept those whose faith is weak, even if they are not at the same place in their faith as we are. Hmm. The Bible tells us not to show favoritism based on conditions that society deems better than others or perspectives that society prefers over others, but rather not to show preference or favoritism and to love every person, regardless of where they're coming from, with the love that Christ has shown us. And finally... Matthew 7, 1, do not judge, hmm. right? Scripture tells us not to judge because only God can judge. And we cannot judge each other's intents. We cannot judge each other's motives or each other's thoughts. The reality is that all of us are equal as human beings created in God's image. And we should love and respect each other and accept each other based on that alone. Hmm. Our equality as creations of God himself. And then from there to realize not all ideas are equal. And that's the point of dialogue. And, and Nate, my favorite one uh, has has always been Proverbs three three in the in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures says, "Do not let kindness and truth leave you, but bind them around your neck. Write them down on the tablet." Well, I'm so glad that you listened to the show. I can't conclude a show on tolerance without explaining the reality that Jesus always, always draws out very different responses. He claimed to be the only way, the only truth, the only life, and he claimed that all other people that claimed to be ways, truth, or life 
were liars and thieves. That's pretty bold. He made pretty exclusive statements, but he had the right to make those kinds of statements. So when we look at Jesus, he always draws out these pro or con responses. So what happened with the crosses is no surprise to me. I hope that you'll embrace correct tolerance, not just saying everybody's right and every idea is right. That's not the case. But saying, I choose to love other people in spite of my differences with them. And I will articulately defend my beliefs and I will go to the truth and speak the truth and challenge others to think through the truth. And I will love them even when they disagree with me. I hope that will be your stance. Also, go to Facebook, The Crosses Project, to see more about Gordy's project and to see more about the need for people to make a difference about world hunger. Finally, I would ask you to come to Jesus today, to say, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive my sins. Please come into my life. Please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. I put my faith and my trust in you. I would also invite you to the River Church this morning. We'll be meeting at 860 Plymouth Drive right here in Durango, right off of Florida Road at 1045 a.m. I hope you'll join us there. As I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that you'll find him this morning. <laughs>